When I was a couple weeks short of my 70th birthday, I started thinking about my mother's mother, who lived to be 100, and her mother, who lived to be 102, and my father, who lived to be 90, longer than anyone we had ever heard of in his family. I began to think that maybe our generation could be the first to routinely live to be 100. When I talked about this at family dinner one night, my granddaughter, who was five, said, What are you going to do for the next 30 years, Grandpa? Hello, I'm Dr. Janet Price. And I'm Greg Kalust. And we are Oldish. And this is our podcast, Oldish. If you're Oldish or know someone who is, please join us every week for conversations amongst ourselves and our special guests about what it means to be Oldish in the 21st century. If you ever wonder whether you're getting old, you're Oldish. What are you going to do for the next 30 minutes? Hi. I'm Greg, and I'm Oldish. Hi, I'm Janet, and I'm Oldish. Welcome to this episode of our podcast, Oldish, Conversations on Aging in the 21st Century. We are very excited to have with us today Joan Price, who is an expert on sexuality for women as they're aging. She has written a number of books, is a public speaker. You can find her on YouTube. And she's a guest on many podcasts. And today we want to talk about sexuality while you're aging and and especially Joan's journey around sexuality as you're aging, how she got passionate about this, when she jumped into it, how that impacts her and her journey as oldish and now as older. So I just want to start with you, Joan, and what do you want to add as far as just an introduction for yourself? Thank you, Janet and Greg. I'm Joan Price. I'm oldish. Actually, I feel quite old at age 80, but that isn't stopping me from having a very rich life, personal life, professional life. I couldn't imagine retiring because at this point, my career is really at its peak. What do I do? I talk out loud about older age sexuality, and I've been doing that for 20 years. I'm thrilled to be seen now as a spokesperson for senior sex, and I take that responsibility and that honor with great great delight, because if we can't talk about sex at this age, come on, we've got to. This has been hidden. It's been taboo. And I am very, very happy that now people are talking out loud about it and joining me in this community of sex-positive seniors. I love the phrase talking out loud about it. And when you were talking about it being taboo and secretive, and I'm 70, so growing up at a time for myself where it was taboo and also false narratives and false information, the book of yours that I dove into the most was Naked at Our Age, talking out loud about senior sex. One of the things I loved that you said a few, many things, but you talked about aging with style has taken a lot of courage along with a robust sense of humor, but that there's this post-menopausal zest, as Margaret Mead said, and that menopause can be a new beginning. I mean, those are things I did not know when I was younger. How did you get into this, and what age did you start this part of your life focus? 
my professional life has always mirrored my personal life. (laughs) I'll go back some. I was a high school English teacher for 22 years. I loved it. I didn't think I would ever change that profession. But then at age 35, just a few days before my 36th birthday, I was in a near-fatal automobile accident. I was expected to die. Why didn't I? Well, two reasons. One is I decided not to. I had a moment of clarity when I said, no, I want the rest of my life. And probably more important or more believable anyway, is I had a very strong fitness habit at that time. I was still going to aerobics classes every day, and I was uh, loving it. I was bicycling. I was extremely active, and I had not been as a child. I had not been as a young adult. So this was something new I had discovered uh, in my late 20s and 30s. And I firmly believe that my fitness habit was the reason that my heart could go on automatic pilot waiting for help to arrive. Because the doctor said, we don't know how you would live through the first hour. And when I um, emerged from that and taught myself to walk again, I realized I had a mission to share the joy of movement. I would see people who could walk and chose not to who could exercise and chose not to, who could get up easily out of a chair, spring out of a chair, and chose not to. And I was struggling with doing any of those things. So I decided that when, not if, but when I could do this, I would not only get back into the aerobics room, but I would learn to teach aerobics, and I would share that joy of fitness. And I did that, and I became a fitness instructor, and um, <laughs> and and a fitness writer. I became a, a professional writer at that time because that was another one of my dreams. And I said, if not now, when? And because I couldn't do everything at the same time, I had to give up high school teaching. But um, you, when you give up something, when you put something aside, something else comes in to fill its place. If you make space, something will fill it. And I felt that, this is a long answer to your question. Then I went through menopause. And going through menopause, I didn't want to set an alarm for six in the morning anymore in order to teach my 7.30 a.m. aerobics classes. So I switched. This seems like such a simple thing. I switched from teaching aerobics in the morning to line dancing in the evening. And because of that simple decision, based on nothing but menopause, at age 57, I met the love of my life. He was a trained dancer. He had moved to my area. He was looking for a new place to dance. He was trying everything that was available in my area, and he happened to walk into my line dance class, and I looked at him, I locked eyes with him, and I tried to remember to breathe. Everything changed from there. 
I mean, it was a, it was a long time before he and I actually became a couple, but we did. And when we were together, we were experiencing such an amazing relationship, emotionally, yes, also sexually. And neither of us had realized that at this time of our lives, I met him when I was 57, he was seven years older. And we had no idea that sex could be so great at our age. And a few years into the relationship, I said to him, where are the books about this? Where are the books that I don't just have doom uh, doom and gloom when they talk about sex and aging? Where are the books that are fun and sexy and optimistic and hopeful and that address what we're experiencing, which isn't, it isn't the same as younger age sex. It's totally different. We need to compensate for things that take longer, things that aren't working as well, um, positions that don't work at all anymore, and so on. And the timing has to be special and the planning for it has to be special. Where are the books about that? And Robert said, well, if you can't find any, write your own. So I did. I wrote better than I ever expected, straight talk about sex after 60. And I thought that's going to be a one-shot book. Then I go back to writing about fitness. No, no. <laughs> that was the beginning of a whole new career at age 61. And 20 years later, I couldn't be happier about this career. Now, a lot changed. I lost my beloved Robert to cancer seven years exactly after our first kiss. And I thought I would never recover from that. But you know what? We are resilient beings. And that's one thing that I've learned about aging, about aging and about meeting challenges. If you meet them head on and you say, even when it's awful, okay, this is this is awful. This is a journey I never wanted to take. But what can I learn from it? And how can I help other people with what I learned from it? And I think I'll stop there with this very long-winded answer to one question. It wasn't long-winded at all. That was great. How do you get here from there? I've been reading better than I ever expected in The Naked at Our Age, and I dipped a little bit into Ageless Erotica. Because sexuality has been a topic, maybe this is a guy thing, but it's been a, an upfront topic for me from, from my whole life. But then, as, as you note so many times in your books and in your talks, it's different now than it was when we were younger, when we were in our 30s yeah. and 40s. It's different socially. It's different in the act, so to speak. It's different in the expectations. Partially, I think, because our aging went along the same timeline as huge changes in our culture. Back when we were growing up in the 50s, sex was male-dominated. Women were there, too. And I think starting in the 70s with women's liberation and so on, that it became, we're in this together much more than it ever had been before. And that changed a lot. It didn't have to all be up to me, for one thing. Now that I'm older, 
things are again different in, you know, they're different physically, they're different in, and what I have in mind. I was as guilty as anyone of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, when I was very young. But nowadays, I talk to people a lot about being single and they say, oh, have you done this website or this dating site or those things? I don't want to date. I want to have relationships or a relationship. I want to go deeper than you're able to. And some of that is just performance anxiety because if I have one shot at it, so to speak, I have to be careful how, how I do that. But there's big changes in the fact that when YouTube algorithms presents me with things to know about it, here's Joan Price. Here's a, here's a woman talk, talking about um, older sexuality in ways that take into account all, all that the issues are. You know, it's, it's not a simple, it's not a simple thing anymore. So your answer wasn't exactly long-winded. It was concise and brought us to where we are today. I love everything you said there, Greg. And in fact, I want to say to people listening to the podcast, rewind it and listen to that again. Because you, you summarize so beautifully, so eloquently, the issues that men face. And I want to say that although I started out writing for women and about women, that changed with the second book, with Naked at Our Age. And many of the people who come to me with questions are men or who, who book consultations with me are men. And in fact, I have uh, on my, my blog at joanprice.com slash blog, one of the things I do is review sex toys from a senior perspective. And I have a man who is reviewing them from a penis owner's perspective, too. So it's all inclusive now. But what I love that you said, and this is something that I think about a lot, is that at this time of our lives, we are not so different, men and women. We grew up being taught very different things. We have 10 years difference between us. So Maybe I'm mired more in the upbringing where we were only taught to fear sex. We were not taught about sexual pleasure. We were taught that sex was something to be avoided, something that boys who couldn't control themselves would want from us. But if we wanted to be seen as good girls instead of sluts, we had to say no. We had to keep our legs closed, put a dime between our knees was the best, was the advice about birth control. Did you ever get anything like that? Best birth control, said my father, is a dime held firmly between the knees. My father was an obstetrician gynecologist. And yeah. this was what I was taught. And then we are taught that at the magical moment that you get married, you will have wonderful sex together, even though you feared it your entire life to this point, and you will reach orgasm through penetrative sex, through partner intercourse. Well, how many things can you find wrong with this picture? All of them. And men were taught an equally false, equally fake upbringing. They were taught everything centers around my penis. It will be hard and I will bow down to it and find an outlet. And that will be my life. Well, no, that's true, really. And especially as we get older, we are more alike 
all genders at this point need more stimulation in order to become aroused and to reach orgasm. We need a lot more time. We need planning. We need understanding from a partner. We need to be able to communicate. This is what works for me now. Let's try this. Or to ask a partner, what would you like me to understand about what's going on for you? Not a yes or no question. Do you like it when I do this? Now, come on, make it a real question. What do I need to understand? How can I pleasure you today? What are you in the mood for? What would work for you right now? I find that kind of conversation really hot. It is really stimulating when I know my partner wants to please me. And it is a real turn on when my partner is willing to be vulnerable and say, yes, this is what I need today. And not to just fake through and hope I'll figure it out or just hope everything works that day. And one thing also that is really important, and you say, Greg, you don't want to date, you want to have a relationship. Well, you can't really skip one to jump to the next. But in dating, what you're really saying, I think, is you don't want to just hook up. You want to get to know someone. Well, that can be done through dating. <laughs> as long as we don't think that if we are uh, attracted to a partner, everything's just going to work and we're, the romance and the hearts will fly in the air and everything will happen. That's not our lives anymore and probably never was. What we need instead is get to know each other. Let the vulnerabilities emerge in that process. And when we feel ready to start getting sexual, and notice I said start getting sexual, that we take it a step at a time. Maybe we'll just kiss for a while and just feel how that arouses us and enjoy what those feelings give to us which maybe we haven't experienced for a while. And when we're, ready, when we're ready to start touching, the young people now are taught about consent. We were never taught consent. And consent isn't, do you want to have sex? Yes. No, that's not consent. The consent is, I would really enjoy touching you if you would enjoy it too. And get an enthusiastic consent to that. It's not artificial. We may think, oh my gosh, how many questions do we have to ask till we get to it? Well, many questions. It's good practice. It's good practice that we know every step of the way that our partner not only is enthusiastic about what we're about to do, but also feels that they can say no at any time that they can say, I think that's enough for right now, but next time maybe we'll explore more. Or that's not what I'm into, but I'd really like it if you do this instead. Or I mm -hmm. feel like this is going a little too fast right now. Can we back up a bit and just cuddle for a while? I find that super sexy, not just um, logistically good, but super sexy. How do you respond to that? You've touched on so many things just now that I would love to explore a little bit more. 
it made me think of one of the quotes from the book, Naked at Our Age, that I wrote down was, until I could value myself, I couldn't expect my husband to do it. And I think that's such a key, I'll say for women, but I think for women and men, because how can we ask for what we want if we don't know ourselves, if we don't feel like we deserve to ask for what we want? So valuing ourselves, it seems key. One of the things that happened for me growing up was I did get that message from my mom that sex was something to be endured. She kind of had that conversation with me the night before I got married. Um, And unlike what she said to me, I really enjoyed sex. But as I got older, I was, you know, 30s getting these messages. Well, at some point you'll reach menopause and then that's it. So, and a lot of women would say, or I'd hear conversations about, you won't have to have sex anymore because you've reached menopause. And I kept thinking, I don't want that to be true. I have a hard time believing that's true. Then you'd read stories about an elderly couple who are still sexual And I'd be like, yeah, all right. Yes, that's what I want to hear. So I guess one question I have for you is, because what happened to me as friends around me went through menopause and then weren't interested in sex, I felt almost embarrassed to say I'm still interested in sex. And also I kept thinking, what makes some women not interested in sex anymore? And some women continue to be interested in sex. And is it all the messages that we get or... Is there a continuum of that there are women who are done? Are they done because they really want to be done and their bodies are done? Or are they done because of society? Oh, Janet, I love this. It's all of that. When you talked, I was picturing the shame that we had to overcome to be able to say, wait, I really enjoy sex. This is not my life, and I am happy I enjoy it, and I'm not going to give it up. And I am, and what happens as we get older and our bodies change, and yes, our bodies throw us challenges. We don't lubricate naturally anymore. Well, that's okay. There are wonderful lubes on the market now. In fact, I am the brand ambassador for brand new line of lubes, Wicked Sensual, Simply Timeless, which is made for our age group. It's made for for menopause and beyond. And I want to say that I have learned from your books some of the lubes that would work better for me. And I also just wanted to put in in a a plug for your uh, sex toys for people, women as they age, because I got one from the ones that you were reviewing, which I never would have known about except for that. So thank you. Oh, I'm so happy about that. And so you're leading me into that next bit of advice, which is learn everything you can about how your body changes sexually and what you can do about it. So what I'm sensing from All the women you talk to say, I'm done with sex. Yes, there are women who feel they're done with sex. Now, what about their partners if they have them? Are they done with sex? Are they still supposed to be in a monogamous, non-sexual relationship? In other words, I'm done, so so are you. I hear so often from the partners and husbands who are saying, wait, what do I do? I I don't want to cheat on my wife. She's the one I want. She doesn't want me anymore. She doesn't want sex anymore. What do I do? I'm going crazy with this. I promised that I would be faithful, but does that mean I will never have sex again? I'm only 
70. I'm only 60. I'm only 55. What I would suggest is that what's going on for these women who feel they're done with sex, and when I talk to them and I say, what about it? Do do you not want any more? And they'll say something. It hurts. Ah, okay. Time to get that sexual pain diagnosed. No one should have to go through sexual pain. If it's, if using lube isn't working and penetrative sex is painful, there are so many possible causes that can be treated. You don't have to live with sexual pain. You need to find someone who can diagnose the problem and set you off on a course of treatment, whether it is simple exercises or whatever. I mean, there are entire books, which I recommend in the resource part of The Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50. There's a whole chapter on sexual pain and then resources at the end of the book where you could learn more. So I won't go into a whole lot now. Maybe the issue is I don't feel desire anymore. Aha. Now it would behoove you to learn the difference between responsive desire and spontaneous desire. I talk a lot about that. I write a lot about that. If we are depending on spontaneous desire, which is hormone-driven, and after menopause, we don't have those hormones that are doing the spontaneous desire for us that are just saying, hello, we want to get pregnant, we hormones here. So, da-da, don't you want to have sex with this good-looking person in front of you? Oh, yes, you do. Take off your clothes and have it right now. We don't get those messages anymore, but we have other reasons we want to have sex. The pleasure of it, sense of well-being, the intimacy with a partner, the relaxation. Don't we sleep better after sex? We Yes, we do. Even if it's daytime sex, which I absolutely recommend, don't wait until evening when you've eaten and you're tired and who wants sex anymore at that time? No, no. Have it during the time of day that you are most lively and most responsive. There are so many answers to to that, Janet, as you can see, and I'm really just skimming the surface. So if you have in your friend group people who are talking openly about now, boy, now I don't have to have sex anymore. If you just said to them, what about sex do you not want anymore? I don't think all the answers would be the same. And I do think that you would find it very revealing to see what they actually say they're done with. Now, often being done with sex is because there have problems that have not been resolved in the relationship. And sometimes someone who says, I'm done with sex, will then suddenly meet someone and say, oh my God, I'm not done with sex. I'm just done with sex with my partner. I want to have sex with this new person, whole new ball of wax here. Yes. So the answer to your question is there are so many answers to your question, (laughs) but that will maybe get people thinking about it. I think that having guidance, having books, having YouTube videos, all those things, because back when I was in my 40s, late 40s, and this was what was being talked about, there wasn't, I didn't know of any place to look for myself to say, you know, why is that? And my biggest fear was that this is what's going to happen to me. 
This is yeah. what happens to women. And as much as I don't want that to be true, it seems like it's true. But and I also just want to say as a therapist, I'm a psychotherapist. And so it comes up a lot in work with my clients around sexual relationships, intimacy, what can that look like as we age, all sorts of things. As I you know, grew into my 50s and 60s and people in our social circle could have the conversation, I would hear women say, I'm done with sex. But one woman actually said to me one time that it was because she was sure that sex was done with her because she wasn't attractive anymore, because she was, she was getting older, she was getting wrinkly or, or whatever. She thought that nobody would want her. I've also heard men say that they are done with sex because they have certain aging issues that are the opposite of lubrication, so to speak, but they don't have the simple solutions that needing lubrication does. And I think it, it, to a certain extent, it boils down to what do you think sex is anyway? And I discovered that it's right there in the language that when I was a kid, sex was just, we're just going to go do it. But then later on, as I learned more, this notion of foreplay came in where your partner could get more out of sex if you did foreplay. And then when I got much older, it was like, well, sometimes foreplay is all there is. And then I realized that the problem is in the language and that if we take out four, which assumes that there's a goal that you're getting to, and the four is to get you there. It's not foreplay, it's play. The whole thing is play. If you're cuddling with your partner and the object is to play together, that's all different. There's no performance anxiety for anybody. We're just playing here. Oh, Greg, um, listeners can't tell that I've been doing the happy dance <laughs> during your comments, jumping up and down, waving my arms because. This is this is so important, and this is something that I also teach. That, uh, I, and I try to teach sex researchers this too, because sex at our age does not have to be limited to penetrative sex. It does not have to be limited to what we in the field call PIV, penis and vagina. It is not partner intercourse if we're talking about a heterosexual partner, and I don't mean to imply that we always are. Sex can be expanded. What I don't like about the term foreplay is exactly what you said. Foreplay connotes that this is something done before the main event. This is the main event. How you provide sexual pleasure and arousal to a partner or to yourself is the main event. And if we take intercourse off the table for a while, we're not saying don't ever have it again. I'm saying do not assume that this is what sex is. Instead, it's one of the many options for receiving and giving pleasure and reaching orgasm. It may happen, it may not. It's just one of the options. And if you think of it that way, and you think of how you can give pleasure, how you can receive pleasure, without thinking that an erection has to be the star performer, 
or a performer at all. Imagine how much less stress that is. You don't have to have in performance anxiety because you're not performing. You are simply enjoying the give and take of pleasure. And yes, orgasms are absolutely possible and, in fact, will be easier once you stop seeing PIV as the goal. And so I would love for the people <laughs> who are listening to this, who are suffering from this performance anxiety because they think they have to have a dependable erection and that it has to give the kind of pleasure. Listen, ask your partner what gives him or her or them pleasure at this time of life. Don't assume it's an erection because it likely is not. That doesn't mean that your erection can't get attention. It'll get attention if you are doing the giving and receiving pleasure. What do you find as you talk to people all over and the different ages as people age? So I'm thinking 70s, 80s. I don't know what my question is exactly. I guess I, what I want to hear is that people continue to enjoy sexual intimacy, sexual play, no matter what age they are. They can. They absolutely can, as long as they do this series of things, some of which I've said and some we haven't gotten to yet. One that we didn't get to yet, and that, that one of you brought up, though, in your question was the self-image. I'm no longer worthy of sex because I am old, I am wrinkly, nobody would want this so bad. I, I say to people when I, they tell me that, and they'll when I have conversations with people, it goes pretty deep. And they'll, they'll say something like that. And I'll say, wait, where did you get the message that you're not desirable at your age? Because they're taking it as a given. Obviously, I'm not exact desirable. But where, where did you learn that? Why do you think that? And they'll go, well, and they'll look at media. They'll put, show all of the media images show young, hard-bodied, slim people that those are the desirable people, anyone who's out of that, no. And I say, wait, you've unlearned so much over your many years. Can't you unlearn this? Can't you see this as something that society taught you, but not just society, advertising taught you? You don't need to accept that. You don't need to accept that you <laughs> have to color your hair, that you have to have a facelift to do whatever you want to feel good about yourself. But please don't think that naturally gray hair and natural wrinkles put you out of the desirability game. They do not. What you need is a partner who sees that also. I hear from, uh, we'll do a man-woman thing, although I, I hate that we're only doing heterosexual now. I hope that can be expanded. But I do hear from men who say that their partners don't want to let them see their bodies. And this is new partner or an ongoing partner. They want to have sex in the dark. Now, I ask you, when did we ever really feel good about our bodies? When we were 20, did we know how desirable we were? We did not, most of us. Very few of us actually fit the fashion plate, 
bikini model trope that said this is what's desirable. We were always, oh, no, I have to lose weight. Oh, no, I should be taller. Oh, no, I should have a, a tighter butt. I mean, we were never satisfied. And then we look at photos now and we go, like, oh, why did I see it? Okay, so let's change that. At any point in our life, we can change that. What makes us desirable right now isn't a perfect body. It is owning our sexuality. It is coming across as sexy and zesty and unapologetic. Are there people who can't handle that? Definitely. Do we want them naked in our beds? No. No, we do not. We're going to hold out for the kind of person who is worthy of what we have to give right now. And the first person we have to convince of that is ourselves. Then, <laughs> yes, we have to do the learning. And Janet, I love that you use my books and my videos to learn. That makes me so happy I can barely sit down. Yes, there's information out there now that wasn't out there 20 years ago. So, yay. Find it. Look for information from people or from sites that aren't trying to sell you something to make you young. I would be very rich if I accepted all the companies that want to advertise on my blog. I accept advertisers that I've vetted that have the same sexual health, wellness, and pleasure viewpoint that I do. I do not accept any companies that have an anti-aging message because the only way not to age is to die. Why are they selling that message? They don't know they're selling that message, but that's how I take it. I am oldish with you. I am old because I'm 80 and that's really old. I, I, that, I say that with joy. Hey, I got to be really old. I was supposed to die before my 36th birthday, and instead I'm old. That's wonderful. So people need to accept themselves. They need to do the learning. They need to pick their medical professionals carefully to get the ones they want. They need to advocate for what they need medically, because often we can't just do this on our own. If you have vaginal pain, if you have erectile difficulties, if you have um, scarring after cancer treatment. There are so many things that will interfere with the kind of sex we, uh, we want to have or we think is the way we want to have it. And then we need to really expand our mind, as I was talking before, to embrace all the different ways we can find sexual pleasure. We need to bring sex toys into our sexual encounters with a partner as well as solo. Because sometimes that's the only surefire way to reach an orgasm. And I could go on and on, and I am and am. But those are some things that will help you if, listener, you are thinking, gosh, I'm really on the edge of not wanting to have sex anymore. Don't give it up that fast. There's so much that sex at our age can give you. And by sex, I mean anything that brings you sexual pleasure. As we're approaching winding down time for 
all of us really, we frequently, if not always, ask our guests two important questions to help us understand oldishness. The one question is, now that you're getting older, what excites you? And, and the other one is, now that you're getting older, what are you most afraid of? And if you wouldn't mind taking a stab at those questions, not necessarily in that order. I welcome those questions, and I'm going to take the fear one first. What do I fear? I have medical issues that uh, seem to be escalating. I'm good right now. No, I'm I'm active. I still teach line dancing. I am very physically active and um, intellectually alert. So I'm I'm very grateful for that. But I know some things um, are ha- happening in my body where I'm I'm even saying to body, what do you mean? What do you mean doing these things for me? Wait. <laughs> I have so much more life to live. I have so much more love to give. I have so many more articles, if not books, to write. I, I, I don't want to slow down. And my body is saying, well, you kind of have to. If you want to keep doing this, you kind of have to. So what can I eliminate from my life now that will leave me with what brings me joy? And then that gets to question number two. Well, first, more a little bit more on question number one, or the second one you asked that I'm answering first, is time is the only thing we can't really guarantee. We can invest in what will bring us more time. We can stay physically active. We can eat right, but we can get the right medical attention. We cannot hold things in that need to be expressed. But even doing all the right things, I mean, we we read about friends that die all the time. Many of them were doing the right things. So I fear that. I fear that I will leave things undone, things that will really matter personally. I update my will, gosh, why haven't I done that yet? Please make me do that, pals. Remind me, I haven't done that. Um, and so that's the fear. The fear is that things I can't control will cut me down before I'm ready. And will we, I ever be ready? I don't know. Now, what brings me joy? I happen to love my work. I love it because it helps people. I love it because... I hear back from people, and any of you who've read my books and have not thought to reach out, joan at joanprice.com, I'd love to hear from you. It matters. I mean, most writers never hear from their readers. It matters. I love that every day of the week is something set that I look forward to. I love the line dance classes on Monday and Friday. I love the Pilates I do on Tuesdays. I love the date afternoons. And I'm not going to tell you when I do those, but they're regular. I have gradually, really since menopause, been eliminating things I don't want to do anymore. And some of them are silly things and some of them are really big 
And I find I have to keep revisiting that. When I turned 80, I did some real soul searching on what matters and what doesn't. And one of the things that really matters is not to spend time on something where I'll look back the day after and say, why did I bother doing that? Instead, what are the things I'm really prioritizing now? And what do I need to say no to? It's very hard for me to say no when people want my time. I turned down a lot of interviews. I love yours. So I didn't, I, I didn't want to turn you down. Yes, let's talk about being oldish. I'm in. I count me in for that. But there are a lot of others that I'm turning down just thinking, well, I can't do it all. And sometimes I'll say, will you contact me again in three months? I might have done that to you, actually. And then they do, and maybe now my calendar is clearer. I uh, I say no to a lot of things, and uh, we are still in the time of COVID. We haven't mentioned that yet. I am still masking with any indoor group, always, and avoiding most indoor groups. And I don't want to have the wrath of people who want to tell me how I should live my life in that way. I know my medical issues. I know what I need to do to continue being the lively person I am right now. And that's what I'm doing. We're glad you didn't turn us down. This has been great fun hanging out with you for an hour now. One thing I would like to do is ask you to consider coming back and talking with us some more. I feel like we've barely scratched whatever surface there might be, then it's a, it's a big surface. As now that we're older, there's way more surface to us than there used to be. So I would think it would be great if you would come back on at some point. And I would just like to sign off with you, and, and we'll say goodbye in a minute, but I would like to sign off with you that this has been a real treat for me. And, and it, you are as beautiful as I can imagine in all the ways that matter. And oh. it's, it shines through, and it's just been a wonderful experience hanging out with you for now. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And yes, I would be very happy to come back. And I hope that uh, the listeners will give you some feedback about what they'd like to hear from me next time I come back. That would be interesting to know, because I know this is a whole different audience than I usually have the pleasure of addressing. So I thank you for that opportunity. And you've been great interviewers. You ask wonderful questions. You let me go on and on. (laughs) That's the way to my heart. Let me go on and on. And I want to say thank you. And you are one of my heroes. So I'm glad you're here in the world. And I'm glad that you have made this your focus, your passion, because we all need this. So thank you so much. Well, thank you both to what you've given to me today. And I look forward to doing it again. I hope people will find me at joanprice.com, sign up for my newsletter, explore the things I have to offer, many of them free from my website. And it's a kind of education we will never be done with. And that's a good thing because it's so much fun to learn. (laughs) So it's time to say goodbye. So goodbye, Joan. Thank you for uh, being on with us. And thank you. As always, Janet, this journey that we undertook together starting just about two years ago continues to be a real treat. I love looking out the window as we're driving down this road, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. 
Bye, Greg. Bye, Joan. Bye for now. For now, yes. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. We had a great time talking with Joan, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can connect with Joan at www.joanprice.com. Her blog and sex toys for the oldish reviews are priceless. Joan's books include Better Than I Ever Expected, Naked at Our Age, and Ageless Erotica. If you're interested in this topic at all, you'll find them informative, supportive, and enormously entertaining. You can find links to them on Amazon in our show notes, wherever you listen to this, and on www.oldish.me. Next week, we'll have another edition of our Oldish Book Club with our friend Leslie Ross Degnan. We'll be talking about The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. You can leave comments or requests for topics or guests on this or other episodes at www.oldish.me. There's a link there, too, if you've wondered how you can help support our podcast. If you like what you heard today, please tell a friend and rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.